Did you know that BDSM and kink are healthy outlets for aggression, imagination, and attention? Hi, welcome to The Partition, home of kinky wellness. My name is Dana Shergel, and I am a sexual wellness instructor that dives deep into all things kinky. I'm here to show why kinky sexual wellness deserves a rightful spot within the wellness conversation. So let's talk about it. Hey, and welcome back. On Monday, we had the lovely and beautiful Air Force Amy on the show to talk about her life as a legal courtesan. She pulled back the curtain on life inside a legal brothel and let us know how legal brothels are able to exist in specific counties in Nevada. Over the course of our conversation, we touched on the differences between legal and non-legal sex work. And although I know a few things about Saskatchewan, I'm not an expert in Canadian sex work laws. So I did some research over the past two days. And again, disappointingly, it seems Canadian laws are not kink friendly at all. Because although technically sex work is legal in Canada, almost everything to make sex work safe and secure is illegal. So let me break down my current understanding of Canadian law when it comes to sex work. When I first started researching, I was immediately brought to the Bedford versus Canada case that was set out in 2013. And although the Supreme Court sided with Bedford, the change that was brought a year later was entirely negative. But before we get there, let's start in 2013 and go from there. So in 2013, three women named Terry Jean Bedford, Amy Lebovich, and Valerie Scott challenged the Canadian Supreme Court against three provisions of the criminal code. During the trial days, Terry Bedford was famous for always appearing in black leather and with a riding crop and used to operate an S&M dungeon in Thornhill, Ontario, which was raided in the 1980s. And because of this, she actually was convicted in 1999 after being charged with operating a body house. Amy Lovovich studied criminology and psychology at the University of Ottawa and social work at Ryerson University, and she too was previously working in the sex industry. Valerie Scott was an independent indoor escort and massage parlors and became an activist in 1985 when she joined the Canadian Organization for Rights of Prostitutes. She served as the executive director of the SBOC from 2004 to 2011, and for the past almost 30 years, Valerie has spoken at numerous parliament committees, university and community organizations, and to the media on the changes that need to be made surrounding sex work. And together, they came to shine light on how Bill C-46, which criminalizes various activities relating to sex work, infringed on our right for freedom of expression to talk to clients on the street about services, prices, and circumstances under which they will provide the services. It also infringes on the right under Section 7 of the Charter of Canadian Rights and Freedoms. Section 7 of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms refers to our life, liberty, and security of persons. That means that everyone has the right to live liberty and security of the person and the right not to be deprived, therefore, except in accordance with the principles of fundamental justice. The three provisions specifically were Section 210, which makes it an offense to keep or be in a body house. And a body house is just another name for a brothel. And then there was Section 212, which prohibits living on the avails of prostitution. And Section 213, which prohibits communicating in public for the purpose of prostitution. But let me break these down a little bit further for you and what this actually looks like for a sex worker from my understanding. 
So starting with section 210, the criminal code defines a body house as any place that is being used for prostitution. So this could be a rented apartment, a hotel room, or even a place that's owned. But because of how the law is structured, if a crime were to happen, the chances of reporting it are close to zero because the punishment for Section 210 falls under an enterprise crime. And if someone is found guilty of an enterprise crime, from my understanding, the government has permission to freeze your assets, which can be your bank account, your home, and your possessions. So this directly impacted how a sex worker was going to work, whether to make the choice to work inside or make a choice to work outside. But working outside also was affected by these provisions. For instance, for Section 213, which prohibits communicating in public spaces for the purpose of prostitution. So basically, you couldn't be caught talking about sex work in public which means that sex workers who work outside tended to resort to working in dimly lit areas or areas that are unpopulated. This also means that sex workers will often work alone or isolated because they don't want to be caught in a group. And because they don't want to be caught, sex workers would and will get into vehicles without properly assessing potential risk. They weren't screening their clients for health and safety, and they weren't able to discuss services and fees, which only increases the chances of danger. For Section 212, which is, again, stopping anyone from living from the avails of prostitution, I think this is also known as the procuring law, also meant that sex workers couldn't hire support systems like a driver or an assistant or extra security. But this law also extended to someone who is also around or habitually in the presence of a sex worker. So this could include a friend, a roommate, a spouse, really anyone who's around them. So this law specifically targeted sex workers' relationships. But I want you to think about it because think about how much safer it would be if a sex worker could actually hire security, hire a driver, or, you know, even an assistant or makeup artist or hair, like stylist. I don't know who, like, it doesn't matter. I believe that by recognizing sex work as actual work, we could actually open up other types of jobs. But at the same time, this section, if you got caught with this or there was some sort of law repercussion, you would be sentenced to up to 10 years in prison. So, yes, clearly all of these provisions target sex work. And it seemed like the Supreme Court of Canada was in the favor of these three ladies, you know, who brought this forward and sided with them and gave Canada 12 months to amend these provisions. But... Because of this case, in 2014, a new bill was introduced as a result of the Bedford case. Bill C-36, the Protection of Communities and Exploited Persons Act. And what Bill C-36 is, is it criminalizes the purchase of sexual services. And because of this and how it's structured, it makes it seem that all people that are in sex work are being exploited. And of course, we know that there are many people who have and are currently being exploited by sex. But I just want to remind you that this isn't the entire picture. There are many women that want to do this type of work because they choose to, because they can view it as their business, pick their own hours, they can choose who and where and what. And they also know that there is a degree of risk. But if we had a safer system in place where it leaned into what was already happening instead of resisting it, we would stop creating more gray areas of dangerous risk. And, you know, and what Amy said, like we could build establishments where there's more security built into it. 
But like, this isn't the only job that dates back to the beginning of time. Like, in my opinion, construction also dates back to the beginning of time. And it's another job that comes with tons of health and safety issues too. But in its own way, these people who work on construction sites are breathing in dust, dirt, toxins, chemicals, and these dust, dirt, toxins, and chemicals are getting in their ears, their eyes, their lungs, and the loud noises of the machinery are killing their hearing. And this isn't even to mention the damage their bodies are getting from, from like constant and heavy lifting. And even all the risks and accidents that happen on a construction site is a lot, right? Like there's always those like crazy commercials, but they have to do all of these things and have all these issues in all types of weather, right? So if you're a construction guy in Canada, like you still have to go to work when it's freezing outside. It doesn't matter. Construction to me is a crazy hard job, but we don't have laws going around there and saying, oh, you're being exploited, right? And even still, humans aren't the only ones participating in this activity. We have different types of monkeys that exchange services and goods for sex. You know, even penguins have sex work within their colonies. And honestly, when it comes to people who are opposing sex work, you really need to listen carefully to what they were saying, because I was watching the interview that the press was doing after the trial had ended, and it included a woman named Janine Benedict. And she was a representation for the Council for Women's Coalition for the Obliberation of Prostitution. And to be frank, I kind of had to laugh when I was listening to her because she was going off on like the decades of data and how sex work is apparently all bad and she's got all these records to prove it. But like there's literally tens of thousands of millions of years worth of data that proves that you're wrong, right? Like that's wrong. Like sex work has been around since the beginning of time. So even if we took the last couple hundreds of years worth of data, it still doesn't compare to the fact that sex has been around since the dawn of time. And it is one of the oldest forms of work. Like I do have an example of this, but it isn't like a beginning of time story. But I do know that during the archaic period in Greece, Solon, an Athenian lawmaker who was famous for building the groundwork of democracy, stood in favor of sex work and even created brothels at a, quote, fixed and reasonable price. And even still, during an interview with Terry Jean, she said that, like, what do you call when I tie up a man in a chair and tickle him? Is that sex? Right? Because we know that there's a lot of dominatrixes out there and just people in power dynamic situations that have no sexual contact whatsoever, but they also had to live with the heaviness of these laws that were created. And since Bill C-36 treats sex work as a form of exploitation, no matter what, right? Like even when a sex worker is willingly doing this as a business, even when everything is consensual, the bill still stands that the act is a form of exploitation. And they justify this by claiming to protect those who sell their sexual services, claims to protect communities from harm caused by prostitution, and claims that this bill will reduce the demand for prostitution in general and basically makes buying sex illegal, right? And that was taken from justice.gc.ca. This was what they said it would claim it would do. But it actually doesn't work that way. It makes it harder for sex workers. For instance, I'm going to reference a two-minute Lego video I saw on this topic. And it basically starts with a Lego character named John. 
who goes on the internet, you know, he wants to relax. He wants to chill. He goes on the internet. He meets a sex worker named Sally. And after they talk, they decide to go to a hotel. But their event is cut short when a cop enters the room and says, stop, you're being arrested under the Protection of Communities and Exploitative Persons Act. And at first, John says, I don't understand because I'm not hurting anyone. To which the cop says, it doesn't matter. That sex worker is being exploited. To which Sally says, no, I'm not. But again, the cop says, it doesn't matter. The sex work is being exploited. So he just keeps repeating itself. So John clarifies and says, if I took Sally out for a meal and bought her expensive gifts and then had sex with her, that would not be illegal. And the cop says, yes. But then he says, if I skipped dinner and handed her $200 to have sex with me, that's illegal. And the cop says, yes. Then he asks, if I simply talk to her about having sex for money, is that illegal? And the cop says, yes. And that's when Sally jumps in and says, am I breaking the law if I talk about it? And the cop says, selling sex is perfectly legal, to which Sally replies with, how am I supposed to sell sex if you keep arresting my clients and preventing me from making a living? And then the cop, you know, stops and he hesitates and that's the end of it because he doesn't have any answers because it's ridiculous. And I felt it was ridiculous when I was watching this as well, because yes, although sex is legal, selling sex is legal, buying sex is not. And I agree with Amy when she said on Monday that laws like this put a lot of power within the client and they take it away from the actual sex worker. And clearly, Canada just wants to keep sex work illegal, regardless of what they say, okay, regardless, regardless. Because in February 2020, an Ontario court struck down the three parts of the Protection of Communities and Exploitive Person Act as unconstitutional. However, those perversions were later upheld by the Ontario court in February 2022. And in that same year, Justin Trudeau said he would revisit this legislation, but he never did. But in the end, he didn't do anything because on September 18th, 2023, the Ontario Supreme Court dismissed the case challenging it, which is sad and super unfortunate, right? Now, the executive director and general counsel for LEAF, which is the Women's Legal Education Action Fund, Pam Hick, said, sex work is not inherently exploitive or dangerous. Rather, it's the laws criminalizing sex work that makes sex work dangerous because criminalization subjects sex workers to increased surveillance and targeting by law enforcement, exasperates stigma around sex work, and keeps them from seeking government support. And she continued to say the decision is a setback, but we will continue to advocate for the right, dignity, and quality of sex workers both within and outside the courts, which I totally agree with. Overall, like I said, it's sad that the case was ultimately dismissed all these years later, but I do believe that the federal government does not, or any government really, government doesn't have a say in what consensual adults knew. No, I don't believe that at all. These people that support laws like this, like you shouldn't give money in exchange of sex or something like that are just delusional. Like who is that to say what is right and what is wrong, right? When it's consensual, it's okay. We all know here that sex work is far more than just intercourse. It can be about connection, letting off steam, just having fun. And without safe access to things like sex work, we are running a risk of increasing people's chances of loneliness and sexual frustration, right? Because we're taking away an outlet. And these are two topics I've previously covered that can be eased with sex work. 
because sex work is not dirty, nor is it evil. We need to start moving away from the stigmatization of sex work and sex work in general. And I applaud the work that Terry and Amy and Valerie did, as well as their lawyer, Alan Young. You know, I watched an interview with you. He's very knowledgeable on this topic and all the people that helped them along the way and even the people that helped before their time. And I definitely applaud the people that are raising awareness over this now. And honestly, since I'm not a lawyer, if anyone is out there listening to this and knows anything more, further or deeper into the Canadian sex work laws, I'd love to have you on the show to speak further on this. Because I have a question (laughs) in regards to the dismissal of the case. Does this mean that the case has to be challenged again? Do we have to start over? Where do we go from here? And that is something I'm going to look into and I'm going to keep an eye on. But for now, I don't have that answer, but I will keep looking. And, you know, although the case was dismissed, I do want to leave you with a fun fact that I got while I was researching. And what I found was the first recorded law dealing with prostitution or sex work within Canada dates back to 1759 in Nova Scotia. (laughs) So if I have any listeners from Nova Scotia, please let me know how the kink scene is out there and, you know, what's going on. Because that's pretty funny. Nova Scotia, I never thought it would be there first. But, you know, you tell me, what do you think about the dismissal of the case? Do you agree? Do you disagree with sex work? What do you think needs to change about it? And we'll definitely touch base on this topic from time to time. And I do hope that you do too, because sex workers deserve respect and they deserve health and safety security. This isn't anything new. Sex work is not new. So we got to stop acting like it's such a surprise and it's going to keep happening regardless of the laws. And, you know, I've always been a strong believer, like just because it's a law doesn't mean it's right. Right. So we really need to take a look and question what's going on out there. But yes, that is it for me on this topic today before I start getting into a rant. But yes, on Monday, I'm going to be bringing on T. Fortin Barnes. She is a household toxic specialist, health coach and owner of T's Organics. And that episode will expand a little bit on the podcast that I did on banned foods. And we're going to get into certain types of perfumes and things that you can do around your house to not have such a toxic environment. But yes, again, that's it for me for today. I will chat with you on Monday. And as always, stay kinky.